This is a No Dogma podcast. I'm Brian Hogan, and today I'm joined from Brisbane by Nicholas Bloomhart. Thanks for joining me, Nicholas. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the invitation, Brian. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, well, I've, I've been lurking around these kinds of .NET haunts for quite a while, so I suppose that's why I'm, why I'm here talking to you. I, um, I, I've worked as a, as a .NET developer for many years since I escaped the, the you know, misery of COM and C++ sometime in the mid-2000s. Um, so yeah, I've, I've followed the platform along for quite a while and, um, been involved with, uh, the Autofact project that I founded back in about 2007. Um, spent a very long time on that actually. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's in- interesting that it's, it's still kicking along now under the, the stewardship of a couple of other really, um, switched on fellows have taken it to the stars. Um, uh, somehow through, through that kind of line of, um, Component-based programming. I ended up uh, spending some time with Microsoft uh, in the team building MEF, which was a composition framework back in um, back in the Visual Studio 2010 kind of wave of tools, and we built that as a part of the .NET BCL. And it was uh, it's also still sort of serving as the um, the component framework for Visual Studio. So uh, it's getting along. But um, but then after a, a stint back in in Brisbane, some more time with the um, with the team over in Redmond, I somehow kind of uh, ended up getting onto this um, this structured logging kind of jive that um, that we're talking about today. Um, so you probably, uh, well, if if you're coming to this podcast now, you probably come via Serilog, which is a, a project that uh, I've been working on for the last couple of years and starting to get a little bit of a little bit of notice out there. Yeah. So can you tell me about what Serilog's about? Well. I had this frustrating experience. Um, I've always recognized that logging was something important, but I've never, I've never enjoyed, <laughs> I've never enjoyed it. Logging is a really, uh, you know, a, an unexciting. It's not, sexy. it's not sexy at all. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's watching paint dry <laughs> to, to be frank, but, um, I've never, I've always, I, I never really questioned that. It's funny. We, we put a lot of effort into it. Um, when we're, when we're writing software that needs to run, Anywhere that's not on a on a development laptop, um, but it wasn't until I was working on a, a system that was taking payments and started to wonder. Uh, you know, it, it was running in a kind of a DMZ, and so um, I the the logging that we actually built into that thing was quite intensive. And at some point, I realized, well, wouldn't it be neat if we could actually mine the log data to see because it's because it's really an, effectively an event stream? It'd be great to see you know through the day. Um, what kinds of payments are coming in and where, you know, what, what their size is and a few, a few other things that we could easily see by look, looking, looking down this text log. Um, but of course, because we had foolishly just formatted the whole lot out as text, uh, which was the done thing at the time, it was, it, it was much harder than that. And, uh, being a consultant, I didn't really have the, the, the time, you know, in my customer's budget to go and start writing tools to, to parse that sort of stuff out and, yeah, I looked into I looked into other things that were available back then, but it was just too much effort, and so I kind of took that problem away. Um, felt a bit um, uh, felt a bit challenged by it, and then um, somewhere around about the same time, the the team at Patterns and Practices started to build on. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with .NET 4.5's event source types, but um, back in back in that release, the BCL added some some nice types for writing to ETW, which is the the Windows logging infrastructure. Um, 
I, I was at a presentation by Kathleen Dollard a few weeks ago and she was talking about it, but she was saying that it's generally not something that's known by people outside of, let's say, really deep development. Yeah, well, I mean, it's an amazing piece of technology, ETW. It's, a, it's highly optimized. You can, you can use it, you know, um, deep in your kind of driver code the, without worrying about performance or, or reliability issues. It's a, it's a fantastic thing. And so there's some work done in, in the .NET world to try to make a, a better, better way for developers to integrate with ETW. Um, and, and patterns and practices took that and really generalized a lot of it um, to, to produce the structured logging application block, which is one of the first things that we saw along that vein in the, in the .NET world. Um, and unlike the earlier ETW stuff that shipped in the framework, you could, you could use Slab to write to a log file or you could write to, um, you know, you, you could write to ETW. And the nice thing about Slab and, and ETW is that they both, um, they, they both treat text as a secondary output format. So, you know, you, you log the data that sort of, um, describes the event. You know, perhaps somebody has made a payment through your, through your website. And so you might log an event of, you know, payment of $5 processed. Well, you know, the, the $5 payment amount is the, is the data that gets carried through as an actual property of your event rather than, um, rather than just being a string that's formatted up into that message. And, and Slab and, um, Slab and, and it's leaning on the ETW infrastructure to do that. Um, was was really interesting for me, and I um, initially had a lot of enthusiasm for it. But um, the the flip side, I guess, is that um, in mostly to deal with the fact that ETW is a um, manifest driven kind of uh, framework. You you need to kind of describe your events ahead of time um, before you can before you can write them to your um, to your ETW uh, event log. So I kind of need to know up front. Uh, when I when I install the app, that it's going to log an event that's going to be uh, payment processed, and it's going to have a field payment amount, and um, that's going to be, you know, uh, an integer, a decimal value, or, or whatever. Um, and so the APIs of those of, of those two frameworks are really uh, declarative. You you need to create a class that describes all of the events that you're going to raise, and then you can run a tool to to generate the the kind of manifest data out of that. Um, and it's done very, very um, smartly, and it's very clean. But to me, to me, back to the kind of the the value of logging. I mean, when I'm building an application, I'm not even that confident that any line of code that goes in there is going to make it into a production system. You know, um, I know that one day I'm going to I'm going to have the problem of operating this thing and having a structured event stream that comes out of it is is wonderful, but Right now, you know, on day one, my pressure is to, to ship code fast and, um, needing to create a, a schema for your, for your log events, um, means that say instead of just opportunistically adding a kind of a print statement in where you might want to, uh, you might want to get an event, you need to actually switch over to a different, um, to a different file, you know, a different class and a different file, add a method and put some parameters on it. And then go back and try and kind of remember what you were doing when you wanted to write write that event off. So, um, it in practice it it, blo- it broke my my workflow a bit. And so, kind of digesting that experience, um, you know, and and me sort of failing to jump across into the slab world, um, uh, let me just sort of question: Well, could we could we do do a, a schemaless sort of version that didn't have those those limitations? And so, 
Serilog, finally coming around to close the, the loop on, on your question, uh, Serilog is a, a structured logger, but it's it's a schemaless uh, logger. So you you write your messages just as the, your log messages as um, as print statements, really. Um, and there's only really one smart trick to the entire framework. And it's funny that you would end up writing a logging framework just for one you know one small tweak. But um, when you when you format a string using um, string dot format in C sharp, you have this kind of structure of a, a a template that has these holes that are marked with zero or one, and then you have a bunch of arguments that fit into those holes. and And the the kind of normal behavior of um, of string formatting in .NET is that you will you will give it the template and you'll give it the holes, and uh, the string format will kind of munge those together and give you the final piece of text. And that's the the text that goes out to your to your logging pipeline. And so um, Serilog just changes things one slight little bit. Um, and it actually st- stores both the, the template, so you know, um, received a payment of you know, open curly brace zero, <laughs> close curly brace dollars. Um, it stores that that template separately from the um, from the five that you pass through to fill a hole. And um, just by making that one small change at the front of the logging pipeline, um, all of a sudden you realize that you're you're not really writing any more code to write your logs, but um, their usefulness, especially if you <clears throat> if you're piping them to somewhere that's not just a, a text output, you know. So initially, I used RavenDB quite a bit. CouchDB, I explored for it. Um, you know, having those two things separated—the actual format string and the um, and the values that are plugged into it—means that you don't need to use a regular expression, say, to try to separate them again um, after the fact. And I mean, it's silly. It's silly in a way that we would do this. We we know the schema of the message up front when we're actually do, writing the log event, and then we throw all that away and we write it onto the the disk as a string, and then we try and regex it back out again, which is you know not the task that anyone enjoys. Um, so so keeping the two things separate, and then um, Serilog takes things a bit further by letting you uh, name those holes, and so that you don't have a bunch of properties called zero unless unless you're porting from something legacy, say. Um, but it lets you name those holes, and so then um, at at the output you get your um, your message, which is really the message type is the the format string, and you've got the parameters that go in there, and you can write things like uh, tools that will show you all of the payments that were for an amount greater than a hundred dollars, say. And instead of having to write a regular expression to recognize the payment amount, and then do something um, to to turn that into an integer and uh, make a comparison, you can just Go ahead and write the the query directly against your logs, and there's a whole kind of middle middle section cut out of there. So, um, I kind of wish that Serilog didn't have to exist, and we could have just melded that onto um, onto log for net or nlog. Um, I looked into both of those things. Um, yeah, had very yeah. yeah um, they're both fantastic, really, really top quality frameworks to to log with. They they both well. Uh, log for net particular, I guess, is showing its age. I've I've been using it since, well, uh, since I first started writing code for .NET, I suppose. I think but, I picked it in two thousand and six or five, maybe. Yeah, for some it's a great, it's a great piece of work. But I think that, you know, with um, with a decade of maturation, you know, going and going and changing its internal kind of um, pipeline in such a radical way is just not a feasible thing. And you know, it would be very hard to land that kind of 
pull request on log for net, I imagine. So, so you had you know, looked uh, at sort of doing what you would do with Serilog, but instead just augmenting just, it onto the existing one. Yes, exactly. And I had a little bit more success doing that with, uh, with nlog, but um, in the case of nlog, again, I, I realized that just having the, um, having the properties named as zero and one and two, um, you know, really, and it really limits, uh, what you can, what you can do in the logging pipeline. Um, so, uh, you know, um, it, with analog, it was sort of possible to graph that on at the sync kind of stage, but, you know, not, not something that was going to ever really demonstrate its value enough to, to convince people to move to a new way of logging. So, so Serilog was kind of inevitable. Um, and, you know, in the, in the couple of years now, since it's been out, we've, we've taken, um, you know, that, that initial idea of, Hey, let's, let's log structured events, but we'll, we'll infer them from these kind of, uh, format string message templates, you know, um, and by having that kind of first class event flowing through the logging pipeline, people have done a lot of interesting things around, um, you know, uh, uh, around it that, you know, wouldn't really have happened if we hadn't kind of taken structured data to the to the fore. So, you know, it's a it's an ongoing experiment, but certainly one that's um starting to starting to get some recognition. At the time you developed it, were there any other initiatives out there to do anything like this? Well, aside aside slab, um, which I think is is probably directly approaching the same problem, but but from a different API design constraint um, or set of constraints. Um, there's there's definitely a uh, a lot of structured logging happening uh, in platforms other than .NET. Typically, I mean, if you look at there's there's a few examples, notably in Java uh, JavaScript, where you know instead of logging a string, I can just log an arbitrary object, and that will that will pass through as JSON um, or as you know as a structured object. Yeah, it's um, quite easy with with JavaScript, of course, because it's JSON. Yeah, and um, the I guess the the simplicity of that approach kind of up front, um, it comes at a cost though too, because I mean, flipping back to the, the, the reason for kind of consuming structured logs is kind of an operations one. You know, you, you have a large number of machines or, or remote machines that are doing things asynchronously and, you know, they're not easy to get to and debug. You know, um, you, you're writing complicated applications that, you know, at runtime can take a bit of effort to, to, make sense of and that's where structured logs are amazing you know once you've actually once you've used structured logs for for that kind of task you never go back but you know at the development end um when i press f5 in visual studio particularly i do just want to see a stream of text messages rolling up my console to you know to to see that something's happening i don't really want to try to parse json with my eyes every time i every every time i run the app and so you know well while there's definitely some recognition of structured logging out there, um, I, I think that the kind of developer developer side ergonomics have always been downplayed. So I think Serilog is unique in that respect. It's you know um, it's a it's a much more smooth cost benefit kind of payoff in that you don't really you don't really lose a lot up front. You're not having to context switch to write messages. You're not having to write um, you know classes or or format out objects as um, as structures, you know, it's, it's really as easy as writing your kind of printf style, you know, log, logging statements and you get the same kind of ergonomics of being able to read the flow of your logs. But, 
Um, but then later on down the track, once you're getting to, to operating things in production, you've got a lot more of that leverage from the, the structured data that you can use. So yeah, I've been using it for about a year now, and it's one of those things. You, I've been using it, and I feel like, I, how did I ever do without it? Because mm-hmm. we can get a very quick view of, obviously, our own local machines. We can get of our dev environment, our UAT environment, and yeah. even our production environments. And it's just a yeah. matter of going to a different URL and looking at it, uh, and, and then also filtering by an exception or a failed message or uh, anything that we want. And the speed and simplicity is something, it, it kind of, in a sense, reminds me a little bit of other tools that come along and just change everything, and you wonder, how did you ever get by before? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because for a start, you I, I understand that you that you're using Seek in some of your uh, in yes, yeah, yeah. some of your experiences, and um, um, which which I think we'll have a chance to talk about a little bit later um, as as the kind of log collector. Um, now, it's interesting how initially you kind of just start to to want to track your logs down via say the machine ID or, you know, the machine name that the logs were on because that's where the exception occurred. You know, and then you start to get into, um, you know, when, when an error has occurred, you want to trace back through the HTTP request and see, you know, for example, by correlating on HTTP request ID, what your, um, you know, what your user was doing or what your web server was doing when, when a crash occurred. And then you can start to even go further where you start to realize that that data that's embedded in your, your log, um, events directly. So, you know, you might log an event that has the customer's name in it. Well, you know, so long as you're using a fairly discoverable kind of property name for customer name, you can actually then go and start to see, well, hang on, has this customer encountered any other, any other crashes? You know, and, and so you can start to do things with your, with your logs that you would never really have had, you would have considered doing in the past, but the cost would be prohibitive, you know. Um, so being able to slice your entire system's logs by the name of the customer that was, um, you know, making a purchase and then from each of the, those events that you discover, being able to pivot into, um, into the request ID or combining that to just look for errors. It's a, you know, it, it definitely is. It was, it was a game changer for me anyway. Something um, that just occurred to me, I haven't actually done it, but I imagine depending on how you choose to log stuff, you could almost replay events like a, a request coming into an API, see what the values were, attempt to push them back through again and see if they'd work a second time. Yeah. There's, well, the, the the sneaky thing about Serilog, particularly, is that you know I'm, I've I've long I've long been interested in um, event processing and systems that that produce like I mean if you watch the the domain driven design community kind of gravitate towards event sourcing in the last five five odd years I suppose I've, I've seen that there's some really fantastic things that that community is doing around representing every action in the system as a as a first class event that you can later go and, um, you know, that you can later go and, and analyze or replay or do, do interesting things with the, the trouble for me is that there's, there's such a buy-in in that architect, architectural style that, you know, at, at least on simple applications, I don't always have the kind of upfront budget to, to think about building an event store and, um, an event sourcing, event sourcing sort of implementation everywhere. And so, by using Serilog, you can kind of sneak a first-class event stream into an application that doesn't really have a budget for one, and that you know you you kind of budget for logging, and that's good. And and as a side effect, you get the kind of first-class events that you um you know that that you can then go and do some of the analysis on that you could do if you were actually um 
if you're actually building a system with a first class kind of event stream. And so, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a lot to explore as far as, um, carrying over some of those, um, event processing, stream processing sort of techniques to work on seri log logs. Um, but you know, it's, it, we're, we're really just getting geared up in, in, in that area, I think. Do you hear back from the companies that are using, uh, your tool and what kind of companies do they tend to be? Uh, yeah, I hear back all, I hear back all the time. Well, we've had something like 70,000 downloads on NuGet now, which is not, which is not big, I guess, by, it's big enough. Uh, uh, yeah, but it's not big by NuGet standards when you can see that, say, JSON.net's hit six or seven million, I yeah, believe, something like but, that. I mean, what app doesn't use um, JSON at this stage if it's a web app? But, yeah, it took, it took, well, it, it took years before Autofact, for instance, was kind of discovered that, that widely. Um, and so I think, I think it's, um, it's an indication that I think the, the user base of Serilog, well, I, I guess the flip side, the, the, of the value proposition of Serilog is that because it's, it's new, it doesn't carry a lot of baggage. And so if you're really starting a new .NET application today, it's actually the quickest and easiest way to get up and running with logging. So maybe, uh, maybe a lot of the interest is coming from that angle, but, um, but yeah, we, we see all kinds of, we also see all kinds of usages of, of Serilog in all kinds of places. Um, we probably get the most direct contact through, um, so I, I, I also work on, um, building the, uh, the log store that we mentioned. So, um, so we've, we've got like a, We've got, I guess, we've got a maturing ecosystem around consuming structured log data. Um, when I when I first wrote Serilog, I was quite frustrated by the kind of mismatch between um, storing all of my logs in a document database and then wanting to get them back out again as a as a kind of an event stream. So I've I've used Couch and I've I've used Raven, um, both just just kind of tools that were at hand, um, and Though they're very capable for their specific use cases, I think with, with log data, the concepts of level and the concepts of kind of the ordered aspect in an event stream, um, being interesting, you know, makes it quite clunky to use a general purpose data store to, to go and, um, and, and work with logs, you know, on a day to day basis. So, um, so the ecosystem around storing structured data as, as log data is kind of growing. There, there are a few tools out there, but, um, for me as a .NET developer, I, I really wanted a double-click kind of solution. Um, I could download an MSI, double-click to have it installed, and then hit F5 and, and start to get, you know, a, a first-class kind of structured logging experience there without without really having to learn anything, <laughs> frankly, because no, you know who has the time, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I like to spend time digging into things, you know, once I've had a chance to to get some value out of them. But I don't really want to have to go and study a lot of. Um, background material just before I can evaluate a, a tool. And so, especially, especially doing consulting work on sort of short, short engagements for different clients. If I couldn't really demonstrate value in an hour, there wasn't really any hope of moving forwards with these things. So I started building, a, um, uh, initially it was a bit of an experiment, but, um, uh, a log, a structured log server. So, um, effectively like a centralized log collector called seek. Um, don't let programmers name things. Um, seek is, seek is the sequence type in um, F sharp. So seek is like the I enumerable of F sharp, I guess, in a way. Didn't know. Uh, you know, so, so for me, of course, that's the most natural thing in the world to call something that you're using to process sequences of, of, of events. Of course. Of course. Um, 
so I started building that about um, nearly two years ago now. Um, and although log collection is something that typically demands really high scale, um, uh, you know, unlike a lot of the the sort of alternatives I've tried that kind of made that trade off. Um, Seek initially and and still is built as a usability first kind of um, developer experience first kind of tool. So you know there's the kind of quick and easy setup and integration from from .NET, but there's also you know just just to focus throughout on kind of minimal concepts. I just wanted a structured log file. You know that um, it felt like a log file, um, looked very much like a log file and behaved like one just with superpowers. So um, so through through building that, um, I've definitely come in closer contact with a lot of customers now who um, we, we turn that into a commercial product that um, that we sort of we, we produce a free version that developers tend to use that's a single user um, single user kind of setup but we, we also sell a commercial license a series of commercial licenses for it um, sorry the commercial licenses are for seek is that correct seek sorry okay. yes, yes not for as, as opposed to serilog yeah serilog is a much broader pro- project in that serilog uh, people people use Serilog to write to files. It's it's a it's an Apache two open source project. So people use Serilog to write to files, to SQL Server, to you know Elasticsearch and Splunk and you know Logly and um, a million kinds of a million different services. Um, you know and and it's a very uh, community driven kind of uh, project. There we we you know Seek is definitely uh, a great. Um, output for Serilog logs, but the two things have, have kind of set off on their own separate lives. Um, so Seek is kind of the the commercial ad- adventure uh, that I've been on for a while. Um, and it's it's put me in touch with a lot of people who have, have been using Serilog deeply for for several years, um, particularly um, I guess because they've been through that journey with me as well. Um, and I'm I'm always surprised to find that. My initial expectations are, are often miles off the mark as far as how people are going to use things. Um, I was originally thinking about kind of transaction-based data, but I've I've encountered people using Seek to store sensor data, <laughs> you know, and Seri to record sensor data, you know, very uh, at 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 not IoT scales, but you know, at fairly at, at fairly interesting kinds of um, scales. I've seen. Um, I've seen people log their autofac registrations through it so that they can search for which components are actually exposing a particular service. And, you know, they just log that by hooking into the autofac registration events and, um, and writing off some structured data to seek. Um, lots, lots of, um, you know, well, yeah, I guess, I guess it's as broad as .NET is. I mean, Serilog is getting used, um, in everything from, you know, um, <laughs> I, well, I don't know. I can't. I can't go into too many of the two, the two crazy ones, but you know, all, all all across sort of um, online, offline, different industries. I've seen medical, education, finance, insurance. And, you know, it's a you know pretty much anything you can build with .NET, you can you can get some value out of structured logging now. Um, so then, when when a person chooses to go with Serilog and Seek, for us, the main advantage was that we've get such fast access to the logs and we can filter by them incredibly easily. Do you find that's the primary use for Seek these days or do people look at it and do they use it in a different way? Well, when I, when I set out building it, I mean, I wanted to create a, I really just wanted to quickly create a CSV, <clears throat> a CSV of um, 
payments at different times of the day, you know, that I was going to use for um, creating some pretty charts in Excel um, and, and pass on to the BI folks in the, the company I was working for. Um, and I, I definitely imagined that Seek would be much more of a, a BI tool in the end. Um, I didn't, I, I think I underestimated just how much um, of a gulf there still is between distributed logging and really good developer usability. And so I think over time, um, the the use of Seek is much more um, uh, a, a development time and um, test time and production time kind of um, debugging tool, really. Um, uh, initially, initially, you kind of use Seek for debugging in that, I mean, getting consolidated searchable access to your production logs is awesome. But um, then once you start to kind of work backwards through that process, that traditionally we've always just thrown logs over the fence to the to ops people or to whoever was unfortunate enough to have to to debug an issue. Um, you know, they they get slapped into a um, into a C sharp method um, during development, but then they're kind of never seen. And so I don't know how many times you you will have seen it, but I I'm always haunted by looking at the critical log event in the production log, and I get. Um, couldn't process order and then system dot uh, link dot where select iterator blah because you know instead of actually formatting out the items that were in the order, I've I've logged the enumerator you know and it's come through to string and all that beautiful data is gone. <laughs> um, so the more you actually start to care about the experience of operating your production apps, the more you kind of realize that you need to be um, thinking about that operability aspect right up front in development. And so um, the, the other interesting kind of use of Seek, which I've seen a lot of, and especially because it's a, it's a free tool for, um, for developers in, in that mode, is, um, is simply running one on a second monitor during development. And um, just like you kind of verify your code with unit tests right up front, um, you tend to get into a workflow with, with your with your logs where you'll you'll run a scenario perhaps in development of the app and then switch over the logs and see whether or not they describe it or whether or not what you were really expecting to happen happened it's kind of a it's kind of a second validation and and by getting into that workflow you start to realize that you can make much better quality logs and um, instead of the the production debugging task being kind of like digging your way through a mountain of of, of horrible low quality kind of text, you, you start to get a lot more uh, conscious of how your logs are going to be used later on down the, the, the development cycle. And so um, it's interesting that, I mean, it's, it is an operations kind of tool and Serilog as well is, is very much um, targeting a better, better operations kind of um, outcome. But I think we've got a lot, we've still got a lot of room to go in building tools that, can reinforce really good quality logging and really good quality instrumentation at development time. Um, you know, the, the the classic one is, well, at development time, I, I see an exception roll past, you know, usually because my debugger's screaming and the like on the taskbar is flashing, um, and, and all of a sudden my, my app stopped responding and I have to <laughs> do the double take to go, hang on, we've broken. Um, I mean, when, when you hit a, a bug at development time, great. Um, but it kind of gives you a drill for, okay, well, here we go. We logged that exception off into the log. Now, just given the, the properties that are attached to that event, 
you know, maybe there's thread ID, request ID. There's a whole whole realm of kind of different bits of data you can enrich your log events with. But um, just given the the properties on that event, can I work my way back to see what the actual cause was? You know, what what was happening in the application when this occurred? And having that dry run every time you you hit a, an issue during development means that you're ready for production day. You know, um, and maybe you know you might be doing continuous deployment. I mean. Fantastic if you are, and you, yep, you know yep, that feedback loop is, is short. Yeah, um, but even if there's a couple of days between, you know, between writing your log event and actually using it, you find that your opportunity to increase the quality of it has has slipped by. I mean, I've never seen anybody hold up a production release because their logs weren't good enough. You no, know. no. Um, but yeah, so I think um, I think Seek and and Serilog uh, together as well. Uh, you know, ultimately they deliver their value in, um, in production, but the value is built in development. And so, um, so they're, they're first and foremost, foremost, both designed to be really developer friendly tools. Um, we, we found enormous use for them both in development and in, in production. And I, I don't think we quite described how, it, how it actually is presented. So um, from my perspective, it's just a, a web page I go to. I have a search bar. I have a stream of log events and then, I can filter through the search bar or I can filter by picking a log event and saying include that type or exclude that type and then ah. the rest just happens. I mean, because traditionally a lot of people are just used to text files. It, there's none of that. It is much, much simpler and much, much better. Yeah, the, 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 the key word in there that was kind of cool to hear go by was type. Um, the, the neat thing when you when you write a text, lo- text log, you never think about your text log events having any notion of type, right? Like, you know, I write logged on a new customer, you know, and, uh, great. That's, that's a unique string, you know, and I can find that string perhaps again, if I, if I, if my regex foo is up to it. But, um, once you are taking that format string, I mean, if you write your log events just as, as strict kind of .NET format strings with holes or, you know, serilog style message templates where the holes have got names in them, um, you realize that the, the template string itself is a, is a kind of a type for the event. And so, you know, you might log, a million different customer logons, and each one of them would be pre- presented as a unique string of text. But they all use that same message template saying, you know, logged on customer, open curly brace zero, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when it comes to actually getting noise out of your logs, that notion of type is really powerful. Um, it's, it's probably the first thing that you, that you hit yeah. um, as an aha moment. It's like, wow, I'm writing the same log events, but in, in, instead of... Um, you know, instead of just sort of lumbering through the text, I can say, well, that event's too noisy, you know, strip it out. And this event's too noisy, strip it out. And then I can um, save my filter so I can exclude my information, my debugs, my warnings, and then just show yep. my exceptions. Or maybe I want exceptions and warnings depending on uh, on the time of day or, the, or what I happen to be doing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing just how far you can get just in that simple flat kind of, you know, stream filtering type view, isn't it? You can get... Um, you know, I mean, if you think about processing logs as a kind of a BI task or, a, you know, um, you're trying to get them from a database, you know, you know, things, things get complicated quickly, but I think in the, uh, you know, in, in practice, it's lovely just to be able to cut the noise out of a log and, and just zoom in on what you're interested in and then continue to just read it like a log. Um, you know, you're, you're not, you're not really, um, you're not really doing a lot. I mean, even in very busy systems, the kind of thread of control that you're interested in, 
um, it is probably itself able to fit on a couple of couple of screens of information. And so, you know, you, you can you can go too far, I think, with trying to get sophisticated in your, your kind of log processing. When I mean, from from a diagnostic standpoint, being able to view the history of all customers' interactions with a busy website is kind of ridiculous. But um, once you can start to cull uh, data that is is noisy that you're not interested in, and then filter down to a couple of, of key identifiers, you you can quite comfortably look at the interactions of a single customer through the history of a of a site in a um, you know in a in a pretty straightforward way. And I like you know that that narrative aspect still being quite strong is a is a good thing. You know I think that was that was the biggest limitation of trying to use um, document stores like Couch and and Raven as, as log stores and SQL Server is much the same, you know, in order to actually get the information out you need, you had to kind of, um, extract it specifically. Whereas with, with seek, because it sort of, um, plays to that strength of Serilog having effectively event types, you know, you, you can actually just n- narrow in on what you're interested in, but keep a lot of the context and narrative around it. Um, and that's where I think just keeping focus on, on being a great, um, structured log file is, is a great thing rather than kind of getting off into BI and into, you know, those other kind of like more advanced analytics areas, which of course there are also very good services for and that you can integrate, you know, any number of ways. Um, but then you're underlying, you are using a Raven database, I think, uh, for the underlying database for C for Serialog. Uh, no, no, no. No, that's, that's probably a pretty easy assumption to make because I, I, I did talk about a lot as well. And, um, and originally, I think the the first kind of demonstration of Serilog was based on um, on writing to Raven. So Serilog itself is completely independent of any kind of backend. It's just a it's just a simple .NET portable library that you know behaves much like Log4Net. Um, Seek is an interesting thing because a number of people have have come to me and said things like, "Why not uh, Why not build Seek on top of MongoDB or build Seek on top of you know?" Uh, any other kind of, um, I guess, scalable, general-purpose storage backend, and um, once you start to get into the, the options that are available for storing events, there's a lot of interesting stuff there as well. Um, but Seek we're doing a bit differently um, in that it does it effectively uses its own storage layer. Um, the the files on disk are stored using the the Ascent um, storage engine, which is part of Windows. So Seek is a Windows product at the moment. Um, it's it's not tightly coupled there, but it's pretty. Um, it makes some assumptions around the, the behavior of those pieces. So, you know, through time, um, that like log data is interesting to store. You're always interested in the most in you know the most current events. So it has a strong bias towards things. Um, Within a kind of a time slice, and usually the you know the specific current time slice, um, and it has other some other characteristics around you know um, the way that things are thinned out over time by kind of you know so sort of let's say debug level events might only be interesting for a day um, you know but um, but keeping track of information level events that kind of describe the high level transactions might be something that you know thirty days or or, or more of, of storage is kind of interesting for. And so it also, it has this kind of um, waiting at the front. And so the, the access patterns to it and the way that it um, is ma- maintained over time um, is kind of unique. And I think that 
that's why I think, um, you know, generally tools that are built for log data do end up using their own data stores. So Seek has a kind of a, um, an on disk format that, uh, uses Ascent as, as kind of a transactional storage backend. Um, and it's super robust and has been part of Windows for a decade or, or so, I believe, or more possibly. I guess um, it's one of those things that if you don't know about it, you just don't come across it. Yeah, you, you never you never see it. It's just a Windows DLL. Uh, but all it effectively does is store some B trees on disk, and we you know we use that aspect to be able to thin out log data as it as it gets older, um, and you know, avoid a lot of the details of of dealing with the low level file system reliability uh, challenges. But on top of that, you know, um, so we use many of the sort of B trees managed by Ascent for bits and pieces of storage. But on top of that, Seek has its own custom um, storage uh, storage layer, much like the way that you know, RavenDB itself is also built on Ascent, say, um, for a completely different use case, I guess. Um, but the the storage layer built on top is custom, um, custom built for the workload. Uh, it, gives, it, it means that we can... Um, you know, we can do some, some pretty intelligent things around caching and, um, you know, optimizing towards the, the earlier or, you know, the most recent events in the system. Um, and also like seek sort of unashamed, unashamedly, um, makes use of the assumption that it's got structured data coming into it. And so, you know, getting away from document stores like, you know, Mongo and couch and other things that we could use for storage that, that kind of, um, um, treat all data as equal, whether it's old or new or otherwise. Um, the, the other sort of, um, the, the other kinds of classical options for log data, um, turn, you know, rather than storing documents per se, uh, are generally sort of a, uh, viewing, extracting info from logs as like a text search problem. And so they tend to be kind of focused on, on the features that you need when you're doing a lot of text indexing and, um, you know, heavy text search and, and, and seek to do some of the things that it does, um, really, um, beds in that assumption that you're dealing with structured data. And because of that, it can, it can do a lot of tricky things to cut, to kind of, um, make better use of memory and, um, and, you know, infer schema from log events that, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting challenge in itself. You don't really need to understand anything underlying it, uh, to, to be able to use it, but it's a, um, I think for the long-term kind of um, opportunities that, that dealing with structured log data presents, it's great to have a custom solution because as we, as we learn more about how log, structured logs are used and we learn a lot more about the, the problem space, um, we've got a storage engine that's, that's over time really being tuned for that scenario. Um, so it's kind, of, it's kind of neat. It's been an interesting thing to try to, uh, to, try to stand up like, you know, .NET's not really the, the language of, uh, you know, .NET's not the platform of choice for building kind of high-performance servers for the most part. You know, server applications, yeah, but, you know, as to, and for things like databases and um, and the like, which Seek very much is at the core, you know, um, there, are, there are definitely some challenges and some, you know, especially around the, the way that memory is used um, that have make, made it interesting. But I also feel like I've, I've had a great experience um Building something like Seek on .NET because, I mean, especially, um, you know, the the work on .NET is just ongoing, and the um, people building the the underlying kind of platform are, are always 
tuning and improving it, but even little library things like the immutable collections that have just been out on NuGet for, for the last year or so, um, make, make building some, you know, really nice kind of concurrent caching things simple and fast. And it's been a good, it's been a very good experience. Um, but you know, to, to use seek, I guess the interesting, you know, the, the interesting stuff is largely hidden from you. It looks like a log file. <laughs> I want it to be easy or I want it to be easy. So, um, yeah. just to, can you tell me a little bit about how you're monetizing, uh, this? So Serilog, I'm, oh, well, you know, I'm not in most respects in that, uh, of course, you know, uh, it's an, it's an open source piece, um, which I've kind of founded and moved on from, but, um, but in terms of seek, um, you know, it's a, it's a product that, um, for development time is, is practically free and that you can use it as a single user, um, without a license or anyth- anything along those lines. So I, you know, you can install it on your laptop and, you know, or on your development box if you're if you're working on a remote server and start to view logs from it and everything else. Um, but you don't get any authentication support or those kinds of production features out of the box. You you need to to buy one of our kind of um, they're they're generally per user um, tiered licenses now, and we just offer a a, a sort of a yearly um, license with upgrades um, model on top of that. So you you can purchase it and use it indefinitely, but you know, we include a year of upgrades. And, and I mean, the, the cool thing is with that model, um, you can pick up everything that comes out that's, that's new, um, you know, across the year after you've, after you've jumped into it. But, um, you know, for us, it means keeping the pace of new releases up is kind of an interesting challenge. And, um, and so, yeah, we're, um, we've, Seek's done six real, six point releases since it was released. Actually, Really six. I think that effectively there's seven, um, in that we did a 1.0, but the 1.1 was actually published a week later. And so it doesn't really constitute as much leap, but, um, but so, you know, um, people have used seek through that time. I've seen it go from being really very minimal to, um, to having, you know, um, say, um, initially it didn't provide any kind of dashboarding and we introduced a simple dashboard early in, in one of those increments. Um, the storage layer at the back end was kind of originally conceived as just being for, for a few events a second and, um, and now, you know, at around about 1.5, we, um, we upped that so that you can, you can log quite a lot of data to it. Um, you know, uh, Without too, yeah, without too much degradation. Um, it's still a sing, it's actually still a single server product. So it's not a clustering, um, log collection solution. So it's not really a, a big data product. But if you, um, you know, I think if you, uh, I mean, very few users really require a cluster for, for log consolidation. Um, I'm, I'm, there are plenty of organizations that do, but, you know, if you've got the time to, to set up, to learn a product to the extent that you can set up a con- and, um, and run a production cluster of it, then you're kind of in a different bracket to initially what Seek is, 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 um, aiming to, to serve because you, users who've been prepared to kind of DIY or, you know, or set up a lot of production infrastructure have always been able to get some kind of log consolidation together. And there's lots of interesting stuff happening there, but, you know, um, the Seek, Seek, despite being single cluster is like, Filling a, a large gap for people who who don't have kind of big data quantities of log <laughs> data coming in. So you know, we 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 did expand it a lot in 1.5 um, to handle more data, and in 1.6 we've added um, Active Directory authentication, which was always a frequently requested feature. Yeah, I know, of course. 
be looking after. But um, but we're currently at work on a 2.0. Um, so actually, that's the next thing. What is the, the future? Yeah. yeah, well, I I don't want to. I mean, the funny <laughs> thing about libraries, right, is that you tend to do a, a 2.0, and your 2.0 is your last release you have yet to do. Um, in the case of Serilog, I think that you know um, it's it's unlikely to do many more releases past a past a 2.0, say because churn in your logging framework is a horrible thing to carry ripples through um, through all kinds of. I mean, there there are there are lots of packages on NuGet now that provide Serilog integration to um, you know all kinds of frameworks, um, all kinds of applications. You can log your in-service bus. Data through Serilog, you can. That's what we're doing. To, yeah, you can attach it to Top Shelf. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, you attach it to Top Shelf. You can use it with you know all all, all manner of things. And so doing a two point there even is a is a big ask. But with with Seek, um, I I think we'll we'll try to get into a fairly fairly close to yearly kind of um, cadence of um, of doing new major versions. Um, I don't think we'll ever do a point six again. Um, you know, seek version version one through to point six has been kind of a, a great exploration of the kind of total space that the that um, the product kind of covers. Um, so seek seek version one through to one one point six has been kind of data collection in a way. Um, seek two um, is not going is not going to be anything like a ground up kind of um, new version or, or rewrite because there's a lot of stuff in seek that uh, I'm very happy with. Um, uh, it's it's mostly focused on simplifying the, the the way that you interact with the the product. So um, we'll hopefully have something out in a couple of um, a couple of months to um, to let people kind of tinker with. But I mean, um, having added functionality through that one one point cycle, um, you know, there are now a lot of opportunities to take things that you know, for instance. Seeking 1.0 has a, a CSV export kind of function that works separately from being able to tag individual properties and add them to the log display. Um, Seek 2 is just going to consolidate those two things and simplify it. So it's easier to say, pick a bunch of properties that are on your log events and download that as a CSV. You know, um, you know, not, and just as an example, I mean, and there's also, um, Seek 1 has a kind of concept of views and queries where you'll, You'll generally live in a view and then apply different queries, uh, as, as well as the filter that you can kind of type into that search box. Um, having that two tiered, um, structure means that, you know, it's, it's a bit awkward to do things like I can look at production as my view and I can look at errors as my query. But if I want production errors application A, you know, today that's a bit of a hassle. Um, so seek to streamlining a bit of that stuff by, um, by melding those two concepts together into a sing- single signal concept that you can use to then just select an arbitrary number of kind of predefined filters and intersect them. So I can click production errors at B and, um, you know, and those, those streams are intersected to kind of show me just the, those relevant events. So it's a lot smoother that way. So the, you know, there, there are a few more things around, I mean, the, the usability improvements will, will generally be felt by the larger teams. So the, um, you know, right now using seek with a large, large number of users, um, presents a lot of clutter and that you know, everybody can kind of see 
the, the complete list of views and queries in the system. And we're, we're aiming to make it a lot more easy to personalize your view uh, of Seek so that you can just focus on what's relevant. I think so. It's a quite, it's an incremental step, but you know, at the same time, um, make it much easier. Like you said, a person can get to what they want to a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think just that, that need for something that's a, that's, you know, a, a very low friction tool that you can use as a developer every day means that there's a whole lot of, um, scope in there for us to, um, to, to make seek into a, you know, a, a really natural, simple, easy to use fit for structured logging. And I think that's, that's definitely, you know, the, the strength of the product now. And I think we want to go further down that direction. Um, at least in the 2.0 milestone before, you know, there's a million, there are a million other things that, that in the future we can, we can add there. So any final notes, Nicholas? Well, I guess that, um, to, to kind of wrap back up, wrap, wrap back up over everything we've talked about, it's been, a, um, I guess it's, it's actually been a pr- pretty detailed conversation today. Um, you know, uh, if you're, I mean, we've covered all of the nuts and bolts of things, but if you, if you're interested in, in structured logging and, um, and kind of where to start, um, you, re- you can really, you know, um, cut through a lot of it um, just by jumping to serilog.net, which is the, the serilog homepage. And um, it's it's kind of got the links into where we, where we are on GitHub and all those other kinds of resources. But it also gives you the kind of five lines of code um, that that really make clear everything that we've, we've talked about in the, the show today. So, um, you know, despite all of the kind of opportunity with structured logging, um, serilog itself is is super simple. It's an install package, call it, write, write a line of code to configure it and, um, and then start logging events. And I think if you, if you visit serilog.net, you'll, you'll see that front and center. And, um, and hopefully that in itself, um, is a bit of a breath of fresh air for you if you're, if you're kind of used to the, the typical, um, logging setup. But then, um, once, once you want to explore things, uh, a bit deeper, or if you've been looking at serilog and you, and you want to move past log files and, or, you know, you want to spread out onto multiple machines and start collecting that data with Seek, um, then uh, you can find us at getseek.net. And that's our kind of um, uh, homepage for all things on the, the log collection side. And um, and you and hopefully you'll see that um, all of that simplicity of setup from Serilog, you know, adding an extra line of code, whether, it, whether it's to configure Seek or whether it's to configure one of the other log collection services of which there are, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of exciting things happening. Um, no, I can hopefully- that. I mean, even though what we've been talking about has been very detailed, it is incredibly easy to set up and use and then look at your logs, which is really what you want to do. Yeah. So once, once you kind of move into using Serilog in a, in a production sense and you want to, you want to bring logs back from many, many servers, then yeah, that's, that's probably the next place to go. And you'll see the five lines of code plus the extra one <laughs> to get going there. And, um, and I'll and, include yeah, links we- to all of your sites on the, uh, the posting for the, yeah, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, and of course there's. Uh, I'm. I spend. Well, I try not to spend too much time on Twitter, um, but you can find me there, and um, I'm sure we'll have that link in there somewhere too. And you know, it would be great to hear from you if you've if you've listened to the podcast and it's raised any questions, or if you've, um, you know, if, if you changed your life, if it's changed your life, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Um, yeah, but I think that that pretty much covers covers the the ground. And, um, well, thank you very much, Nicholas Bloomhart. Uh, thank you, Brian. It was it was lovely talking to you.
The opening music was The Return by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was Peace Within by Peter Redenko from the album Inner Mechanics.